Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. moments. I will never forget it. I was young. I, I cannot uh, tell you the exact age. I was somewhere probably in the range of eight or nine years old when in a service uh, a preacher made a statement that I can't get away from. Um, he just said it in passing, but it's kind of one of those moments that sticks with you. And so uh, I, I, I begin to try to determine if he was right. Um, all these years later, I finally went to where we find all of our information now. I went to Google. I don't know if it's right or not, but uh, he made this statement, and I began to research it to try to discover if it was right. He said that a wasp is actually born larger than it is when it dies. So I began to look it up, and, and I couldn't find it. I couldn't verify it at all. I couldn't determine that he's right. I don't know if he was right. But what I did discover is that there are at least three species that that's true about. The first one is a Goliath beetle. A Goliath beetle, when it is born, it is uh, very, very large. It's one of, it is the largest, one of the largest insects on the planet. But by the time it grows up into maturity, it is half the size it was when it was born. So I just kept digging. I was like, well, the Goliath beetle, that's probably true. Okay, so then I looked up, and the second species is the Hercules beetle. Because, again, the Hercules beetle is born very large, and it shrinks through its entire uh, lifespan. And finally, it comes, when it comes to the point that it dies, it's half the size that it was when it was born. So then I begin to try to figure out what the third species was, and I have come to the conclusion that the third species is Christian's. Christians, when we're left to our own uh, devices, our own propensities, we tend to shrink in our growth. We tend to pull back in our devotion, our love, our pursuit, our ability to reflect the image of Christ as we grow older in our faith. Um, and that's why having spiritual goals, practicing spiritual disciplines is, and I, and I also think having a scorecard that pushes us is so essential in our spiritual growth. We've got to push one another to grow. That I, 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 I've mentioned to you that uh, the, the research that has challenged me just, just came across it recently is that uh, less than one in five, just a little less than one in five of those who call themselves born again have any measurable any measurable goals for spiritual growth. We shrink in our faith. And so I said to you that we're trying to make sure that this year we don't get smaller, but rather we grow in our faith so that at the end of the year, we, we look more like Jesus rather than less like Jesus. That we have more passion rather than less passion. More, more generosity rather than less generosity. Why end another year shrinking in our faith? Why don't we instead get the yardstick out, a measuring device, a scorecard, a standard, something that causes us to say, hey, we're, we are growing. We're intentionally trying to grow and mature in our faith. So we began what is, I guarantee you, I can tell you there's been fallout all week long, that it's a painful journey not to reformation, which doesn't last, but rather to transformation. We are in a journey where, listen, the only way to get there is this, we got to fight for it. We have to fight for true transformation. So that we grow, so that as we hold one another accountable, 
as we keep score. As we draw attention to when we don't grow. And when we draw draw attention to the fact that we are growing. That together we transform into the image of Christ. So we've identified seven fundamental shifts. Seven shifts that are fundamental to our growth. I want to say it like this. If you have uh, these seven shifts begin to take place, you cannot help it. You will look more like Jesus. It's inevitable. So I've also said this, um, and it's as blunt as I know how to say it. If we fail to make these shifts, then when 2020 ends, we will not have grown. We will have shrunk. And so we've started this. So the first shift that we've been working on since last week, I hope you've been working on it. I hope you worked on it today. Remember, you were supposed to come to worship today and not even try to to worship God. You were supposed to look for people. Okay, so some of y'all already failed from last week. It's It's a process. We're working on it. The first fundamental shift was this. We must move from me to you. All right, so get your scorecards out. If you don't have one of these, if you forgot yours, Raise your hand real quickly. If you haven't received one of these, raise your hand real quickly. And our usher is going to move super fast. And they're going to hand you one. So shift number one, you need to write it down. This is a contract between you and God. Shift number one was from me to you. So fill that one out if you weren't here last week or you missed it. Me to you. And now we're going to start the second one. It's not that we're finished with the first one. It's just that we're going to keep building on this thing. Are you ready? Shift number two is this. Oh, this is going to be tough. Slave to son. Or if you're not comfortable since you're a female with the word son, you can put child. I like son because it has an S and slave starts with an S and that's a whole different issue for me. Okay. Thank you, dad. All right. So um, he, he messed me up for life. All right. All right. So slave to son. So last week we talked about one of the two uh, most famous teachings that Jesus taught when he was on the earth. In fact, uh, research was done and people that can't even name the names of the disciples can tell you the basic tenets of these two accounts or lessons that Jesus taught. The first one that we talked about to teach me to you was, of course, the Good Samaritan. We talked about the Good Samaritan and all of that. If you haven't, if you weren't here, you need to go back. Listen, if you miss any one of these messages, you must go back and listen because you're not going to be able to stay up if you don't. So we talked about that, but there was a second account that is also equally ingrained in the minds of our, of the soul of our society. And that is what we call the prodigal son. The prodigal son, you know it well. It's the account of a young man who was rebellious who was disrespectful to his father, who demanded uh, an, an, an early inheritance, in fact, wished his own dad was dead so that he could get the inheritance, gets the inheritance, squanders the inheritance, ends up starving to death, uh, eating out of the pig pen, coming to his senses, not out of love or respect, but simply because he's starving to death. He recognizes his own failures, makes a trip home, walks into the yard, the dad comes running for him, the dad receives him graciously, And restores him to his rightful place as a son, even though he says, make me a servant. I could preach slave to son right there. But I'm not going to. Because we know the story too well. And because we, in our own uh, self-centeredness that we talked about last week, uh, we begin to see ourselves as the prodigal son. The son who came home. I'll get back to that in a second, 
But I think because we do that, we fail to learn the lessons of the older son. Okay, this one's going to be tough. Um, who, he never left the property. He never left the father's care. Now, let me stop here and say this. If you're not in relationship with Jesus, then in fact, in the account, you are the prodigal son. In fact, let me say this to you. If you ever came to Jesus... You were at one time the prodigal son. But now that you've placed your faith in Jesus, you're no longer the prodigal son. But I would venture to guess most of us are more like the older son. Okay, so let's read it. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 25 through verse 32. Now the older son was out working in the field when his uh, brother returned. And as he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. So he called over one of the servants and asked, what's going on? And the servant replied, it's your younger brother. He's returned home. Your father is throwing a party to celebrate his, his homecoming. The older son became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. So his father, just like he did for the younger son, came out and pleaded with him, come and enjoy the feast with us. And the son said, Father, listen, here it is. How many years have I been working like a slave for you, performing every duty you've asked as a faithful son? And I've never once disobeyed you, but you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing now. <laughs> but look at this son of yours. He comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes. How does he know? And reckless living. We always believe the worst about everybody else and not ourselves. And here you are throwing a great feast to celebrate for him. And the father said, my son... You are always with me by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. It's only right to celebrate like this and be overjoyed because this brother of yours was once dead and gone, but now he is alive and back with us again. He was lost, but now he's found. So what I want us to do is I want us to push past the part where this son could care less. I, I want us to push past the fact that this son didn't really give a rip about his younger brother because that was the shift from me to you. We could reinforce the lesson right there. But I want us to push past that one because we've already learned that one. I didn't say we perfected it. I didn't say we were acting it out. I didn't say we were actually accomplished in it. We've just learned it. So now we cannot become educated beyond our level of obedience. We've got to go back and be obedient in that area. But we've learned. Okay, so what I want us to do then is I want us to instead press into the fact that this son is acting and thinking and living like a slave. He is inside grace. He is inside love. He is inside the house. If you will, he's saved. And yet, even though he is safely in the house, he never recognizes that he has access to the Father and to the resources of the Father. And relationship with the Father that slaves never have. And so, he comes to the Father. And in the account, he even addresses himself as a slave. I'm a slave. Okay, here it is. I tried to wrap all this truth up in one statement. Are you ready? Please don't miss this. Here's the truth. It's not in your notes. You're going to have to write this down. The truth is you can serve God and not know him as your father. And the result is we become slaves 
good slaves, but still slaves. I think we have this tendency to stop at slave level because slave level is easier and more comfortable and more familiar to us. I I need you to understand that you can be a slave and be confined in familiarity and even in comfort. And so many of us, and I would venture to say most of us, are safe in the house. Enjoying salvation, enjoying grace, enjoying mercy. And yet all the while we continue to act like, think like, live like slaves. And so we don't recognize ourselves as sons, so we begin to behave like slaves. So we don't recognize that we have access to an inheritance. We have access to a relationship. We have an access, the access to the Father that a slave never will. And so we continue to live like slaves. John tells us right off the jump that Jesus shows up on this planet to help us make this shift. He says it in John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. Most of you know it like this. He gives those that believe the power to become sons of God. I'm going to read it out of a different version because I want you to hear what's happening here. It says this. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, that's us, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So then this is my contention. If we have believed, then we have been given the right to become the children of God. But if we don't, if we're not aware of that right, we're not diligent, we're not intentional, and we squander, the young son squandered the wealth of the inheritance in riotous living. The older son squandered the relationship that he had access to. Okay, so then what happens is this begins to show up in our actions and the way we live. So now what I've only got time to do, Lord help me. Uh, I've only got time. I'm going to do this. I have identified about eight characteristics of slaves. I'm only going to mention five. I mention them for a purpose. I only draw your attention to these five characteristics of slaves. Because you remember last week I gave you tests. Remember? We did two tests to to show us that we were self-centered. And we all failed miserably. All right, we all flunked. There wasn't one person left standing. We all flunked. So what, what I discovered is that self-centeredness is, is very hard to, to diagnose. But so is our own slaveness. So I'm going to mention five traits of how slaves behave, act, think, live to, to help you see If you're acting, living, thinking, behaving like a slave. Now, if you don't believe it's hard to self-diagnose whether you have any slavery in you, let me help you. In John chapter 8, in verse 33, uh, the Jews come to Jesus. You know, the Jews, the one, you know, the Jews, the one that were like in slavery to the Egyptians. You know the Jews, right? The ones that were in slavery to the Babylonians, right? Those Jews. You know the Jews, the ones that when Jesus was here were being uh, overtaken and over, uh, lorded over by the Romans. But in John chapter 8 verse 33, they come to Jesus and they make this statement. We've never been enslaved to anybody. What? Yes, they had. 
They just couldn't diagnose it. They couldn't see it in themselves. That's what happens with us. So here are the five identifications or five of them that will help us see. Boy, this is going to be painful. Five identifications that are, are characteristics that show us whether or not we're really living more like slaves than we are sons. Are you ready? Please say you're ready. Y'all been so good this, this first part of the year. Let me just beat up on you. I'm just sharing the misery because God's been beating me up. All right. But it's for our good. It is for our good. Here's number one. Slaves don't love. Okay, out of this account, a son that should have had mercy and compassion and love for a brother who was starving to death to the point that a Jew is eating out of the pig trough could care less. He didn't love. He sulks. The father literally says he was dead. But now he's alive. They had written him off as dead. Any of you that have experienced any loss at all know that that should have been a gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching experience. But instead, the, the older brother could care less. He doesn't love because slaves don't love. Instead, they simply serve. That's all they do. Jesus, uh, in his response in John chapter 8, when the Jews come to him and say, we've never been enslaved by anybody, I can't read it to you because it's really long and it's really heavy. But he summarizes his response to people living like slaves and he identifies that slaves don't love. Let me read it to you. In, in, in John eight forty two, he says this, if God, listen, listen to the words he used, if God was your father... Slave to son. If God was your father, you would love me. Because I have come to you from God, I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. So, so he's identifying that because they're acting like slaves, even though they're claiming to be free men, they're acting like slaves that they don't even have any love for the one that the father sent, their own brother. When we're totally free... One of the foremost characteristics is that we will love. Listen to me carefully. We have been trained to obey. But I'm not sure we've learned to love. We, we've been saved and forgiven. But I wonder, have we truly learned how to love him and those around us? Let me, let me help you here. Slaves obey, but they don't love. We're taught to obey, but obedience doesn't necessarily mean love. I'm going to say it another way. Love always leads to obedience. But obedience doesn't always lead to love. Okay, let me point it out to you. Let me prove it. Some of you obey your boss. But you don't love your boss. But if you loved your boss, you would automatically... Okay, 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 okay. See, 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 I, 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 I discovered in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, that Jesus says this. Now, so, 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 or John says this, he says, so now we can tell who are children, there it is again, children, sons of God, and who are children of the devil, anyone who does not live righteously, here it is, and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Okay, I got to stop here. I got so much stuff. I got 13 pages of notes, y'all. I normally come to the pulpit with seven. But I'm going to get through this. Stay with me. 
I want you to notice that this passage teaches us that the very first indication that you're a child of God is that, number one, you will live righteously. But there is a second indication. The second indication is this. He says you will love the believers around you. Notice, if you will, he doesn't even challenge us in this passage. He will eventually. But in this passage, he doesn't even challenge us to love unbelievers. He says love the believers. Okay, so can I tell you, oh man, this is going to be painful. Can I tell you that, um, ooh, I wish I could just be, mm, off, can I tell you how, uh, how often, now we're better than most, I will tell you we're better than most, so I'll give us kudos for that, but I don't want to let us off the hook too much. Can I tell you how often believers mess this up? How often that uh, we fail this test and with lack of, we, we, we interact with one another with lack of love, lack of grace, lack of compassion, lack of respect, lack of tact. We, we, we use the wrong choice of words. We, we use the wrong tone when we speak to one another. And it's a glaring indication that there's no love. And if there's no love, then no love is a glaring indication that we haven't made the shift from slave to son. We're acting like slaves. Okay, i got to move because y'all are hurting. Second one, slaves perform. The older son says, look, bro, I have slaved for you. I have been in the hot sun. I have performed. I've made you wealthy. I've secured wealth. His worth was not wrapped up in his sonship. His worth was wrapped up in his slaveship. I've ushered. I've greeted, I've played an instrument, I've led worship, I took care of the rugrats in the back, I wore a diaper outfit out front and looked all goofy. Listen to me, slavery at its core can be defined as reducing a person to their function. I want that to sink in. Slavery at its core can be defined as reducing someone to their function, what they do. It's performance. So when we become defined by what we do rather than by who we are, we are slaves. So I need to tell you some things. Failure is dangerous, but success is intoxicating. So what happens is we become intoxicated by man's approval. So our worth becomes enslaved to accomplishment and applauses. So our identity is wrapped up in man's approval to the point that when we come to church, what takes place is that man's approval becomes a cheap substitute for God's approval. So doing is valued more than being. In fact, as long as we are doing, we don't even care if we're being or becoming. So as long as somebody says, boy, you really sang that song. You sang the dog out of that song today. I'm so glad you stood at the door and you're such a great greeter and your smile is so beautiful and you make it easy for me to come to church. I'm so glad you volunteered. As long as we get the pats on the back, we will settle for that. Whether we're becoming or not. Some of y'all been, some of y'all been serving here for, for a decade now. And you're not any more like Jesus than when you first started serving. 
this, hey, we're family. This is not a seeker. This is not a seeker service. This series is not. We'll get there. This is not. This is family. All right. Okay. I recently had uh, Julie and I did. This has been a, a couple of months ago. Uh, we had an encounter with a, a person that used to attend here, and uh, we we had to uh, we had to confront them because of their toxic. Um, choices of words, the way they interacted with people. We tried to confront them out of love. And this was the response we got. But I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I do this. As if by doing this, 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 and this, it made everything, the, the, the fact that they were acting like a, okay, so they were acting like, okay, because, because I do this, this, and this, I should be able to act like that all the time if I want to. No! Your performance does not make up for your pathetic attitude. Okay, okay, I'm starting to meddle now. So, so, so we have become... An, we have become so busy. We, we've mistaken busyness for being so we serve and we have marched to the calendar, but there's no real growth or becoming more like the one for whom we do all the work. You can see this exhibited most... When people that serve are unwilling, listen to me, when people that serve are unwilling and will resist you when you talk to them about coming sitting in here to hear the word or coming here to worship. Oh, no, I'm too busy. I got stuff to do. Y'all know me. I don't mind you serving. In fact, I'm aggravated with you if you're not serving because serving is a growth. Okay. When you serve, you grow. But I want you to serve out of love and out of the, uh, the idea that we are becoming more like Christ because Christ served. If you have to, if you have to choose between serving and worshiping, come worship. If you have to serve between, uh, choose between serving and coming and sitting and hearing the Word of God, come stink and hear the Word of God. Because slaves perform. Number three, slaves use slave language. Often this failure to make the shift is revealed in our language and particularly in our prayers. And I'm going to preach to me. I'm going to ask you questions, but I'm preaching to me. How many of us usually address God as Lord rather than as Father? So we view God as our owner. I catch myself doing this all the time. Honestly. So let me ask you this question. Is he Lord? Yes. In fact, he's, he's Lord of all. He's Lord of Lords. He's, he's undeniable, unchallenged, undefeated, unparalleled. He is Lord. Okay, we start there. If you want to get saved, you must acknowledge the fact that Jesus is Lord. Right? Okay, so we start there. But I think it's necessary to grow past God as our ruler and our owner and slave master to a revelation that he is our father. I have a couple friends on Facebook that I have problems with sometimes. Um, it's not their problem. It's my problem. They, they, um, they're, they're facing challenges in life and they, on Facebook, list prayers and they address God sometimes and Jesus as daddy. And I cringe every time I read it. And all of a sudden, I've had to stop and go back and think, well, maybe they've made a shift that I have failed to make. 
And maybe I see God as my master, my slave master, rather than having graduated, matriculated into a son relationship where I can address him like family. And with affection. Paul comes along in Romans and he says this. So you have not received a spirit that makes you feel fearful slaves. Instead you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba. Father. For the spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Another version. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty. Because slaves perform. Leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But instead you've received the spirit of full acceptance. Enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned. For as he he rises up within us. Our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection. Beloved father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved children. Then he backs it up in Galatians chapter 4 verse 6. And so, so that we would know for sure that we are his true children, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, my father, you're our true father. So if we don't see slave language revealed in our prayers, we see it revealed in our conversations. We talk about heaven as reward rather than inheritance. We address blessings as payment. Slaves beg, sons believe. Slaves operate with expectation. I do, then you'll do. We hold our master hostage. Sons operate with entitlement. I don't have to do anything because this isn't based on my actions but on my father's resources. Slaves approach in fear. Sons approach in familiarity and can say, Abba, Daddy, Father. So I'm going to make a statement here. You've got to hear this. If you don't hear anything else I say today, please hear this. I got 37 seconds to get to two more points. All right. I'm not going to make it. We must grow to where we see God rightly as a king. Who can say and demand anything that he wants. But also as a father who, respond, who we respond to in love. Knowing that even his hard commands and edicts as kings are for our good. That is why I have no problem obeying commands I don't like. Some of y'all have some real issues obeying commands you don't like. I can conform to standards that are not comfortable. Because what I have realized is that he is my king, but he is also my father and my father disciplines. I hope you're getting something out of this. Four, and I'll move quickly. Slaves don't rest. The older brother says, how many years? He asked him, how many years have I slaved for you? Out here in the hot sun, no parties, no celebrations, no breaks. Slaves don't know how to rest. When the children of Israel are delivered, God institutes the Sabbath. It means to stop, to rest. Why? Why would He institute the Sabbath? Because, listen to me, what you can't rest from, you are a slave to. That's real good. What you cannot rest from, you are a slave to. 
So Jesus confronts slave mentality when he deals with Martha, who's doing too much. In one family, he shows us the difference between slave and son. Martha's slave, you're doing too much. Mary, you're worshiping your son or daughter. Lack of rest pushes you back into slavery. In fact, this idea that the busier you are, the more important you are, is the trick of the enemy to keep you enslaved. I heard an exchange, uh, a guy talking about this. He said that um, he was going to take, uh, he, he, he was interacting with one of the church moms. Uh, we don't know much about church moms in this culture that we have, but in some churches, the church moms, they big time. So he's going to uh, talk to this church mom, and he's really busy. And he's talking about how busy he is, and she confronts him and tries to get him to rest. And he responds to her like this. The devil never takes a day off. And the church mom put him in his place by responding with this question. Why is the devil your role model? We need some church moms. God rested. But slaves can't take a break because you're afraid if you take a break, you'll get a beating. I'll come back, all right, fifth, and then I'm going to quit because, y'all, this is too much. Slaves fight freedom. Y'all know I don't normally preach this long or this many points, but we've got to get this. Slaves fight freedom. Slaves become comfortable in their chains. In his book, uh, To Be a Slave, Julius Lester details instances after the Civil War where slaves that found out they were free went back to slavery because it's all they knew And they were comfortable with it. (laughs) Slaves often fight freedom because they are more comfortable in their chains than they are in freedom. So let me say some things to you because I think we act like slaves. Because some of us are enslaved to sweets. We know it's killing us. I know it's causing my cholesterol to go up. I know it's causing me to have, be at risk for diabetes. I know it's causing me to have weight gain. Lord, help, Father, help us all. <laughs> but we're comfortable. Okay, that one's easy. Y'all think that one was tough. I'm bound by one night stands. I, I, I'm, I, they, they cause, I give myself away. I give my heart away. I give my dreams away. And then it always results in me getting hurt. But I'm so comfortable With the fact that I'm not alone, even if it's for one night, that I keep going back to my chains. I'm comfortable shacking up, even though I know it's causing me not to have access to the Father, even though I know it's against the standards that that He he tells us, and and it's causing stress. and, And let's be honest, the chances of us even making it are now slimmer than they were if we'd have done it the right way, but I'm so comfortable in my chains. I'm, I'm, I'm bound by the alcohol and it's, killing, it's, it's destroying my liver, it's destroying my witness, it's destroying my family, but I'm comfortable. I'm bound by the fact that I'm watching what I'm watching and it's causing deterioration of my soul and it's enslaving me and I don't think I can break it and I, don't, I can't seem to stop and it's causing division in my household. But I'm comfortable in my chain. Slaves fight freedom. And the result is this. Because we fight freedom... We mistake deliverers for for dictators. Moses, you're going to kill me too? This is how slaves act. 
God sends people to us to help us to get free and we push them away and we run from them and we cut off relationship with them because they keep exposing the fact that we're slaves and that we're in bondage and we don't like it. Okay, ooh, shoot. So, so, so people show up and they show us a way out and we get angry at their words and their actions and we shut them down and we push them away and we run from them and we can't discern correctly so we fail to allow God-ordained deliverers to, to set up in our lives and to help deliverance to take place and we become comfortable in our chains. God keeps sending people to you to get, help you get free and you keep running from them. Get them out of my business. Quit trying to tell me what to do. This is none of your business. I don't even like you. You rub me the wrong way. Just leave me alone. And God just keeps sending them and sending them. But slaves, people that act like slaves, fight freedom. Fight freedom. So here's my question to you this morning, and I'm done, I promise. Do you see any slavery in yourself? Do these identifiers hit home? We must make the shift from slaves to sons. If we don't, we stay in the house and we follow a God that we're slaves to. Good slaves. Y'all are great slaves. I'm a great slave. I show up here every week whether I want to or not. I clock in, I clock out. I do the work, I perform. But if it's just because he's my slave master, then I haven't made the shift and I'm not accessing my relationship with him like I should. So I'm going to pray. I promise we're going to have some altar time during this series. I promise we got to. We got to next week. But today I'm just going to pray. This is a lot to process. I've been processing it for months. You can tell by the length of my notes. But we got to get this. We will finish 2020 smaller if we don't get this. So let's pray and then I'm going to give you some practical, painful steps. Father, Father, help us. I need your help. And I know my friends... In this congregation, need it too. I'm thankful that we are safe in the house. I'm thankful that we've experienced your goodness and your kindness. I'm thankful that we've experienced your love and your forgiveness and the mercy and the grace. But we don't want to just stop at slave level. Good slaves. We want to become sons and daughters. So we address you as who you are this morning. You're our good, good Father. And we hold on to the fact that you love us even more than we love you. So I pray this morning that you would help us in these areas. I pray that you would help us to love. Not just obey, but to love. I pray that you would help us to not get caught up in performance. That we would become who you want us to become. I pray that we would change our language and we we begin to address you as our Father, not just our Lord, although you are. You will always be our Lord. You will always be our King. And because you're our King, you can tell us to do stuff we don't even want to do, but we'll do it, not because you're our King, but because we know you're our good Father and you don't want anything but good for us. Father, I pray that you'd help us learn to rest and not get so caught up in what we do that we wear ourselves out. 
And Father, finally, I pray that you would help us to identify and allow the deliverers that you're sending our way to set up in our lives and as painful as it may be to help us to walk into true freedom. And Father, we will give you the glory, the honor in Jesus' name. Here are the practical steps. We had practical steps last week. I'm going to list four quickly for you. To break this slavery mentality of not loving, let's celebrate someone else's freedom and salvation. Let's celebrate their blessing. Especially if it was a blessing that made you mad, jealous, or question why you didn't receive the same blessing. How do you do that? You pick up the phone. You write a card. You post on their timeline. Or a private message. And you celebrate what you see God doing in their life. That will cause you, hopefully, to break the mentality of the older brother who didn't love the younger brother. Two, I want to challenge you to rest. I want you to take a true day off. No electronics, no phone, no outside noise, because if you know him more, then you'll trust him more. I even want, ooh, this is dangerous. Pastor's living dangerous. I even want you to take a break here. Well, there's nobody else to do my role. Rest anyway. Go to the leader of your area and say, look, if I don't get a break, I will have switched into a slave rather than a son. Take a break. We'll be all right. Danny will go lead kids. That's a joke. That's a joke. joke. Mike McPeak will begin to do all the counseling. That's a joke. That's a joke. I'm, I'm playing, but we've got to take a break. Everybody's got to take a break. You will never hear me rail on you for taking a break unless you use it as an excuse never to serve. Because some of y'all been on a break, like a long break. A permanent break. That's not what I'm talking about. Three, change your language. Make the conscious decision to begin praying like this. Father. And perhaps take another step and pray. Ooh, this one's tough for me even though I have a great dad that I call daddy. Maybe in your prayers you could graduate and call him daddy. I'm trying. And last, I want you to honestly evaluate where are you bound. And then I want you to go ask the people who've been trying to help you that you keep pushing away. Go back to them and ask them, will you help me? I'm bound in this area and I think you can get me out. Who could help you get free? Who tried to help you that you've pushed away? Make a list of the deliverers in your life and ask them, invite them, give them access. To assist you again. We'll get back together next week. And we'll move to third shift. Father help us. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources. Or to make a donation online. Visit www.passionchurch.tv Remember you can't live without passion. Passion.